one of those things of if you build it, create the awareness and understanding, it starts to snowball. Welcome to episode 390 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In October 2019, Idaho Falls city leaders decided to move ahead with a plan to expand their municipal fiber network to residents citywide. They've enlisted Utopia Fiber to help them with the process in order to ensure the success of their open access approach. In this interview, Christopher talks with Bear Prairie from Idaho Falls Power and Fiber and Kim McKinley, who's representing Utopia Fiber. They discuss the partnership, the pilot project, and the decision to expand the use of the fiber that has served Idaho Falls for years. We learn more about the process community leaders pursued to be sure residents were interested in fiber to the home service a little about how they select ISPs to operate on the publicly owned infrastructure, and the advantages the network has brought to the electric utility. Now here's Christopher talking with Kim McKinley and Bear Prairie. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. We're back in 2020. Um, We're talking today to Bear Prairie, the general manager of Idaho Falls Power and Fiber. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. We also have a returning guest, Kim McKinley, the Chief Marketing Officer for Utopia in Utah. Welcome back, Kim. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Bear, let's start with you and and tell us a little bit about the Idaho Falls area. I've actually <laughs> flown into it twice, once on a very small plane, and I've driven through it and out through, um, I suppose that's Wyoming, and just a beautiful, lovely area. So tell us more about it. Yeah, it definitely ends up being a recreation corridor, certainly in the summer being at the kind of entry point into Yellowstone because you can you know access the Yellowstone National Park through a couple of different ways from Idaho Falls. So it ends up being a, a nice stopover point. A lot of people remember if they do stop through there, the wonderful river going through town and the, and the beautiful falls that are there. But it's a population of about 65,000 people. Uh, it's the fourth largest uh, city in the state of Idaho. So not not a large city by any means relative to what you see in the East Coaster in California, but one of the larger communities in the state of Idaho. But you're right on track. It is a gorgeous area and a, a nice place to be. And we also have a um, National Department of Energy lab, the Idaho National Laboratory, which is the leading nuclear research facility for the country. So interesting community. And I think kind of a, an interesting population of, of uh, I'd say, more above average educated folks than, than one might expect because of the National Lab. It seems like it has an outsized influence. Yes, yes. I moved over to Idaho Falls from the Boise area about 10 years ago, and it always has and continues to amaze me when you'll be out and about and the person next to you in the grocery store line is literally a nuclear physicist or rocket scientist, PhD from MIT. So there's a high, high IQ and uh, education background within our community. So certainly unique. And, and some of our listeners will be familiar because Idaho Falls, you're the anchor to Ammon, which is a, kind of a bedroom community in some ways to you. And we've talked about Ammon before on this show. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ammon's our, our neighbor just to the east that we share a, a boundary with. So. Mm-hmm. And Kim, you are down south of there, um, you know, quite a bit, but next door for Western standards. <laughs> so for people who, who if this is the first time ever listening to a show, um, what's Utopia? So Utopia Fiber is a open access network here in uh, Utah. We provide fiber to the home in 14 cities, and we provide business services in 50 uh, cities throughout Utah. Plus, we are now doing an operational partnership with Idaho Falls. 
Um, we like to brag about ourselves a little bit down here of, as the fastest growing open access network in the country. And we have just surpassed 26,000 customers and we have about 30 ISPs on our network in total. Every time I turn around on your Twitter feed, it seems like you're turning on another 200 households within a neighborhood. Yeah, we are passing about 1,000 to 1,500 new addresses a month, and we currently have about over 100,000 um, businesses and residents that can subscribe to the service. And then just for, again, for people who are who are very new to this, uh, your model is that you operate the infrastructure, but uh, there's multiple ISPs that are competing on it. Correct. Um, so we believe the proper role of government is to provide the backbone or infrastructure as we like to call it, of the fiber and let the private sector service providers run on our lines. Um, it's worked. Uh, we started it, this concept in about 2004. Our first customer was lit up in 2005, and we continue to grow at a record pace at this point. Um, I, think, I think I mentioned earlier, but we are going to hook up approximately about 6,000 customers this year alone. Yes. We're going to get back to Idaho Falls in a second, but I just wanted to note something that hopefully, I think in, in three more years or so, we won't be making this note, but um, you are still accused of of being um, a failure. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that we've seen is that you had dark days behind you, and but uh, right now the expansion is bright. You're you're doing great. You're um, you know unsecured debt at a, at a good rate. So things are looking up. Things are absolutely looking up. And I think that we did have some dark days in our past, but I think we've learned. Um, and I think that is what happens when you're a pioneer in this industry. Um, we didn't know it. We didn't know at the beginning. Um, but now I think we have a good track record and that we are, the sky is the limit for Utopia Fiber. So Bear, let's talk a little bit about your history. You've been doing the dark fiber for a long time as well. Uh, but tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about how that's worked and how you got into it. Sure. So the Idaho Falls is also unique because they're one of the oldest public power utilities in the West. So we've owned and operated an electric utility providing service to the city since 1900. So we have long, rich history of providing central services. In 1998, we had a need as the electric utility and high-quality communication between our substation sites and our hydro projects and our office. And so we built a very limited fiber network. And then in 2001, we started having a deep conversation about, you know, additional needs around the city, um, different government needs, uh, whether it be the county, uh, the schools, the universities that have satellite locations in town, the Idaho National Lab, like I, like I mentioned, had some needs. So as they approached us to say, can you guys provide this service for us to build this infrastructure, it made sense for us to continue to explore that. So kind of one of those similar things like Kim was saying, being a pioneer and out front. So we decided to build a 48-pair, 96-count fiber and dark fiber, three redundant rings around the city and get into the um, business of offering that service of leasing dark pairs of fiber to other entities. Uh, it was definitely something that, you know, there was components in the community that said there's no need to build that much fiber because you're not going to find people that are interested in leasing that and you're spending too much money. Others said it makes complete sense. Might as well put up more pairs of fiber than less on the initial build. So we ended up with the with the 96 count and a business plan of having it paid for in 15 years, ended up getting paid for and paid back in less than 10 and subscription rates took off really fast. So it, it's been successful on the dark fiber side for a lot of years. 
And what kind of use was that? Was it primarily, uh, for instance, commercial folks who wanted to connect their different campuses or buildings? Or was it people who were using it to get Internet access? Um, How was Mm -hmm. it used often? Right. A little bit of both. So we had uh, businesses that wanted to connect different campuses around town. We had uh, schools that obviously wanted to connect all their schools together and then connect those back into the larger you know, public school segment within the state. And then we had providers come in and want to offer uh, their retail service over our dark fiber. And so we would extend the network with point-to-point connections and then charge additional for each for each drop. So the, the network really grew in a lot of different directions based upon the needs, but it, it allowed us to have that initial backbone in place to really organically grow with whatever area of the community and businesses within it had a need and, and internet providers had a need to, to utilize that infrastructure. Now, for some electric utilities that have done that, it's it almost seems seductive in that it's a, it's a fairly safe business, especially once you're established and you're able to uh, bring in these revenues and increasingly once you've done the connection for dark fiber without ideally really having to do much of anything. Uh, and mm-hmm. so that's led some electric providers, um, the municipal electrics, to say, well, why would we ever want to do anything more than this? It would be risky. Uh, we might be having to do more things outside of our core competency around having to do more marketing. Um, you've chosen to to leave the, the dark fiber, uh, not leave it behind, but to go and be more aggressive. And so I'm just curious right. how that decision making came about. Yeah, what, what happened is come the 2000. 12, 13 timeframe and and certainly leading into 2014, where we started to engage the public, we started hearing, you know, we have this great service on your fiber network at my office or, you know, whether it be attorneys or doctors or different, different individuals. And we had a few people that actually paid the money and had the build of the dark fiber network taken to their home. For example, we had some physicians that read uh, MRIs at home and they wanted to have the access and they could certainly afford to put in that type of robust infrastructure. But the rest of the public was saying, why are we getting left behind? You know, it's great at my business and it's, it seems you know really affordable for business class internet. What can we do at the home and, and the residential sector? So we reached out and started to talk to people around the community about this need and started to really study what what our options are in 2015 of whether we continue to invest and build more dark fiber or should we look for another type of build where we can extend it into the residential neighborhoods throughout the community. And so this is, um, I think, maybe where we get back to Utopia then. So um, were they one of the folks you reached out to? Yeah. um, So I ended up reaching out to Utopia in 2000. 15, 16 timeframe, had really casual conversations. They were obviously the, the history of what their business model was before and how they refined it and really figured out that secret sauce, how to make a you know open access public network function properly and, and the economics work out. And at the same time, we're running a parallel track back in Idaho Falls of what the what we're hearing from the community. We commissioned a study to understand what our what our brand was as Idaho Falls Power to potentially get in and be a a lit fiber provider and and go throughout the city. And then to we held a, a number of open houses around the community and the you know high schools and elementary schools 
after hours and, and really a, a listening session of is this something that the community wants to support and pay for and does it under, is, is there enough of a need there? And the other thing, and we had a conscious conversation about this within our community and with the, uh, our city council saying, even by having these conversations, our hope was that potentially a, a different provider would come in and say, you know, we're going to build out a fiber network within Idle Falls. It's okay. Government, step back. We'll, we'll take care of this for you because uh, you know, in that same time frame, Google is doing a lot of things. But it just didn't happen. Um, none of the other um, traditional telecom companies or other fiber type providers stepped up to say, you know, let us build this infrastructure. So it became pretty clear to us that if we want to deploy broadband access throughout the community, we're going to have to look internally to ourselves to, to put this infrastructure in place. And so while you're having that conversation, I feel like, you know, Kim, I don't know if Kim was the one you were talking to or not, but but Kim, I, I feel like, are you having a conversation at Utopia about, um, you know, you're looking at expanding significantly within the, the Utah um, areas that you're already operating in, but to be looking at moving outside the state seems like it would be pretty daunting. Yeah. And at the time, and I wasn't part of those discussions, I don't think we were really looking to move outside of the state. We were looking to expand to our inside Utah cities and finish out the original cities who started this project. I think when the conversation started, we looked at it as a possibility. Um, we weren't seeking the opportunity. It just kind of, the idea was put on our laps. And then we just started conversations with Idaho Falls. And because what, what Utopia's mission ultimately is, is to help open access networks around the country succeed. So on a daily, weekly basis, we talk to a lot of cities and other things around the country and saying what we've done because we want to share our experiences and what we've done right and what we've done wrong. Um, but I think when we were talking to Idaho Falls, it just kind of naturally progressed into a partnership. Yeah, and I think it, a, a lot of that, Kim, I'll ping on there, our early discussions that we had, it, it truly was a little bit of a one-off from what your normal model was in Utah because we already had these built-in capabilities and successes and were already operating a very successful dark fiber network. So Utopia was a, was a great business partner from the start because they were saying, you know, we don't need to do everything for you guys that we do down here when we open up a new city or build a new part of a network. Let's really look at what you guys need and see if we can kind of move towards an a la carte and there's certain things that you guys have the capability to do, it makes sense for you guys to do that and keep operating this as the Idaho Falls Fiber Network because you guys have a good brand and name up there. Let's help you continue to grow and build and deploy this infrastructure so they it wasn't a, here's our model, you have to take it. It was a, a true partnership of sharing lessons learned, what they've learned. They suggested, you know, different paths or options from what we really thought. So a ton of critical consulting and, and insight that they offered for us on top of the just pure kind of backbone electronics that runs our network on the lit side. Now, what does that actually, what does that actually look like? I mean, are they, are you looking to them to say, okay, here's a map of our town. Where should we put the central offices and things like that? Or, you know, what vendors should we be looking at? How does that actually work in practice? So what Utopia offered us is the sizing and, and location of the huts, the play between the, for example, you know, you can put a hut here and pick up this many customers out of it. If you want to do more customers, you're playing this cost equation between another hut cost and maintenance versus additional fiber. And instead of us trying to figure all this out from scratch, they gave us the 
we've thought through this, we've worked through it, we've had a lot of, you know, learning cases over the years. Here's what we've learned, take it and use it. And if you guys want to change your design from what we do traditionally down here, um, you, you know, you don't have to do it the exact same way. So that learning curve was vastly shortened. And then we're able to integrate how they do things into what we already have for assets. For example, a number of our fiber hut locations, we already had space in substation buildings that already had the infrastructure in there and the HVAC systems and the heating systems. So we can leverage off of infrastructure that we already have in place for the electric utility to enable the cost-effective deployment of, of fiber network throughout it. And, and how will it work moving forward then? Will you be deciding which ISPs are operating on the network or, you know, how does that whole approach work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that, that was the one of the main tenets is we tried to figure out what business model and what approach to deploy if we do a citywide build of fiber. My belief is that Idaho Falls Power has a rich history of infrastructure and providing critical services. We are great at, you know, putting poles in the ground, putting wires and conductor in the ground and maintaining that infrastructure. What I didn't want to be on was the retail side of being an ISP. And there was some entities that said, no, you got to be on the retail side of an ISP to make these networks <laughs> economically work. And I said, right. I really don't want to be in that space. I want to find, you know, where I do the thing I'm good at. And then the for-profit entities can come in and be the ISP. So it really is that public-private partnership, which in, in Idaho and, and a lot of communities value. We, we weren't looking to put anybody out of business. We're, we're trying to enable competition, enable access, enable ISPs to have infrastructure to utilize that they wouldn't on their own. So I tell people, let's let the city and, and Idaho Falls Fiber build one road and you guys choose whether you want to use UPS or FedEx to deliver your data packet. And and we've proven a history of, of being successful at that. And that's where Utopia also had that same business model saying, we build the infrastructure and then it's an open access network and let providers come and you set kind of the terms as far as you know making sure that they're standardized packages, if they're 250 megs are actually delivering it. So there's quality standards. But in that, it's really a level plan field for, you know, capitalism to flourish. And, and, and that's an important tenant in, in Idaho and my community to have that access for competition. And the beauty from our perspective is that it's Idaho providers on the network thus far, is that it's these ISPs were already in business and now they are on the Idaho Falls network. Would that be correct, Bear? It is correct, yeah. Because we had some providers that were looking at building their own fiber, you know, networks in certain subdivisions or what they, you know, commonly refer to is cherry picking. We didn't want those providers to come in and start necessarily cherry picking certain areas of town because our city council was very clear and they didn't want to create a, you know, a two-sided community where there's areas that have access and areas that don't. It would be like, you know, water, sewer services, the way they view it, and, and I view it too, of you shouldn't have what is becoming a everyday, more of an essential service where certain areas of town have it, certain areas don't. So that was a key tenant for our policymakers to say it needs to deploy city citywide if we find a business model that works. Our concern was that with these current ISPs that they would come in and start cherry picking. Instead, it was let us build this infrastructure and you guys will have a lot more customers all throughout the city to choose from. And at first, they were, you know, they, they were concerned with having to compete. But what has proven out 
since we've got the pilot done, that their concerns were really unfounded and they found it to be a robust network where they can do what they're good at and what they like to do and compete on the on the data side of it without having to worry about the bucket trucks and the 24-7 call and all of that infrastructure it takes to maintain a local network. Yes, I often refer to uh, one of our repeat guests, um, U.S. Internet, which is a provider here in Minneapolis, and uh, and he sometimes when we're when we're talking, he'll look at his phone and say, "Yeah, I had seven service calls yesterday." <laughs> you know, I get the idea that that on a fiber network, you know, there's there's most days there's very few calls, and then on a bad day there's probably hundreds. <laughs> so um, better for you to handle that and let them focus on innovating and in the um, figuring out just how to um, keep people happy with it. Yeah, and that's the side for us. We, we can really get those economies of scale because we're out there with our linemen. If we have a car hit a pole or an ice storm come through or weather, we're putting the infrastructure back up. It doesn't take that much longer to also put the fiber infrastructure back up while they're there. So it, it is an opportunity to deliver this infrastructure at a cost point that really nobody else could compete with us because we're already there doing it. There's no reason to move in a whole other separate crew or separate people to do the same work further down the poles. So what happened with the pilot project? So we decided to do a, a pilot project to prove out some of our concepts. And being the electric provider, we wanted to see if we can leverage the electric system, some of that electric infrastructure, to help lower that cost. And with that, the pilot was going to prove out three different construction techniques, which was overhead, which everybody you know knows how that gets built out. And it's pretty straightforward, but want to see if our... Wyman and an electric side can more cost-effectively hang up strand and, and, and deliver overhead service and what the price points would be for that. And then the real dynamic one was utilizing electric, uh, existing electric conduit and putting micro duct in our existing electrical conduit coming out of the transformer and, and using our service lines that we already have in place to the house and coming out the power meter and then entering the house at that point. And then the other one is we have certain areas of town that have aging power infrastructure that was direct buried that we need to replace anyway. So let's just dig once and and replace the power infrastructure and upgrade it at the same time and install fiber and bring that new service in. And what we we started that work in late 2018 and finished it up in August of 2019, so this last August. What we learned is that especially the existing conduit that we have in the ground and utilizing coming out at the electric meter is we can deploy fiber for you know, half the cost that it would take somebody to come in and do a, a greenfield uh, construction installation. And the other thing that we that we showed the community and especially the customers are on it is how robust and reliable of a network we have and what it's like to have 250 meg or one gig internet service. So with that, you know, it's that education and awareness piece because some of our early discussions in 2015 with the community, a lot of people didn't know what a, a fiber connection was. They were like, why do I need this? What's it going to do for me? Once somebody has it, then they get it. And that's where the people that were very vocal in 2015 were, I moved here from an area that ha I had fiber and I had, you know, really robust broadband access. We need this here. Other people are going, well, I don't even know what it is, so why do we need it? So it's almost one of those things of if you build it, create the awareness and understanding, it starts to snowball. And that's the other thing that we've realized with, with the pilot project is 
building that awareness, that understanding to get the support from the rest of the community. This is good infrastructure to put in for our for our community. Kim, I'm I'm curious if if at any point in with Utopia working on this, if if you all got any new ideas, it seems like there may be some significant benefits to you to just see what other folks are doing as you're working with them. No, absolutely. I mean, I think we've learned from our aspect of watching Idaho Falls and how they're doing it with the power conduit, because we don't, um, we have some of our cities who are power cities, um, but we, we don't really experience that much. So it's, it's been a learning experience, and we've been refining our model of if we want to do this again in another city and what we would do. Um, like Bear said earlier, we kind of approached it with an a la carte. What does Idaho Falls want to do, and what does they want Utopia to do? And how do we split that in, from a revenue share or whatnot, and how do you go forward? So I think it's helped us refine the model as we do more p- partnerships um, with new cities coming on board. Yeah, one of the key tenants we had when we were discussing it with Utopia is I really want this to be a win-win where we create economies of scale and, and it's good for Utopia and it's good for their existing members. It's good for Idaho Falls in our community. And if we can find a way to do that, that a la carte service and create that win-win synergy to bring these and, and deploy these type of networks throughout the region, you know, let, let's focus on those type of situations. So they were a great partner in that area. Yeah, really, it's been a great partnership um, from Utopia's perspective perspective. Idaho Falls has been amazing to work with, and it's been an honor that they chose Utopia to work with. We think we know a lot down here because we've experienced a lot down in our time, but uh, it's been a real big pleasure for us to work with Bear and his team up there in Idaho. Suddenly sounded like a farmer's commercial there for a second with (laughs) farmer's insurance. We know a lot because we've seen a lot. Yeah, if anybody's seen things that can happen in this industry, I think we've seen it, and I think we've probably experienced it. Now, can a, can a provider like X Mission that's on all of your U- Utah networks, or what's the, the possibility for them going up into Idaho Falls? So I think it's up to Idaho Falls of what providers they would like on the network. Um, we will vet them and we will monitor all their services, but it's ultimately up to Idaho Falls of the service provider selection. And so, Bear, I'm curious, what do, what do you go into when you're thinking about um, which service providers to uh, be inviting onto the network? What we're currently looking for for providers is somebody that has a history of taking care of the customers. Uh, when there's issues with their side of the connection and to make sure that they have a proper uh, bandwidth and allocation so that when we're offering a product slash they're offering a product, meaning if you're selling a 250 meg connection or a one gig connection, that you can deliver those speeds and we don't have service issues from their end. Because it really is the partnership back with those ISPs because they have the same concerns as us of, well, what is your fiber connections or your electronics? And so we want to make sure that they're a good business partner with a business history of saying, no, our customers are happy with us. Whenever there's concerns or issues, our customer support side of it takes care of them. And we're not putting the onus back on Idaho Falls Fiber because we don't want a poor service provider to cast a negative light on our network where they're playing the blame game of, oh, it's Idle Falls Network. It's not us. It's them. So we want it to be you know, an honest, trusted partnership, which means they need to come with a bit of a, a track record and a history of taking care of the customers and, and operating in that area of an open access network and or at least operating a network that's um, maybe an incumbent, which we have a couple of those that are traditional incumbents. This is their first foray into an open access network, but we want to show that they have a history in the call center and the support staff to take care of our, our community and our customers. 
And what's thrilling to watch from a utopia side is watching incumbents in Idaho Falls who want to be on their network. In Utah, we have some major uh, providers here who haven't elected not to be on our network yet. <laughs> not just not just that, but they've. I mean, not. And I don't want to cast any aspersions, but but back when you started, one of your significant problems was that some of the incumbents spent a lot of money to kneecap you through the legislature. So it's not just. <laughs> that is a correct statement, Chris. <laughs> They, they have not been as friendly in the past, um, but we always have hope for the future. We can't say anything. But to watch Idaho Falls and the incumbents come to the table and being willing to adjust their model and seeing that this might be a good path forward is, is exhilarating to watch from our aspect. And we hope to see it replicate across the country. And that's that's one of the things that that's my impression. I mean, I think um, my impression is is that if your incumbent said, you know what, we've changed our minds, we'd really like to work with you now. I don't think you'd hold it against them. I think you know my impression has always been that your vision of competition is that that's the overriding thing, not not vengeance. Absolutely, absolutely. The incumbents in our area are always welcome to come and be on our network. So let me ask um, a final question, then Bear, I'll ask if I missed anything. But did you face any legal hurdles to be able to move in this direction? Because my understanding of Idaho law is that it is nominally a um, a home rule state in which you sh- you you are not categorically prohibited from doing this, but that the the way it's been interpreted by courts has been a little bit more murky as to the um, authority of cities in this manner. Where we landed is. Since we have clear statutory authority to operate an electric utility and we had the need for the electric utility to continue to build out fiber, because that's the other other component of this, is we're able to leverage the same fiber infrastructure putting in place to deploy to residences and, and locations throughout the city to do distribution automation. So we can now put switches and automation on our power system to bring that into our dispatch center to where a power outage that might be an hour to hour and a half is now going to be a five-minute power outage. The ability also to backhaul our electric meter information and provide uh, electric consumption through apps and other other um, devices to customers and interact with them on, on their electric usage, uh, smart appliances, smart thermostats. So the line between broadband, robust broadband infrastructure and operation of electric utility is inexplicably tied for us in our view. Therefore, we're building electric infrastructure that also has the ability um, with a lot of extra bandwidth for the customers to use. And that's where you know they can pay for that fiber connection to their house, and which is currently $30 a month. And in January, we're going to move that down to $25 a month for the actual fiber connection. And they can utilize that for their internet service if they want. And then we reserve a portion of that bandwidth for our own needs for the electric utility. So that's where we we have the the statutory authority, which is different from uh, other entities that might not have an electric utility that are a municipality. And so I actually, I I was remiss in in, in spelling this out before, but um, that's the way uh, it works for a homeowner's perspective is that they have a a construction or a, a fiber fee in addition to what a service provider would charge them. Correct. It's a it's a two part cost. So they'll pay Idaho Falls fiber for the connection if they're connected to the network. If we pass by a home and they choose not to connect, they don't pay for it. So that was one of the key tenants for us is 
those who utilize the service should pay for the service. And if you're not utilizing the service or taking the fiber service, you shouldn't have to pay for it. And that's that, that's a unique thing that's different than maybe some of the other networks. And that's why we had to make sure that we could find a business model to get the price low enough that we can pass by every home and residence and business throughout the community. And even if not everybody takes it, or even at a 50% or 40% or 30% take rate, that we're comfortable that this network will pay for itself and it doesn't need, you know, 80, 90% take rate. And that's where we've drove the numbers down to a 30% take rate. We're, we're good, you know, and even as we continue to get these economies of scale going, that percentage will continue to, to drop. And one note that I want to like just point out is that it is on a month-to-month basis. So it's no long-term contracts from Idaho Falls um, to the end-use customer. Yeah, we really want our, our network to stand on some. We had a lot of discussion internally. Well, should we do contract? And where I ended up landing is if you offer a superior product, and, and superior service and take care of the customers, they're going to come and they're going to stay. And conversely, what we've seen with, with the pilot, out of the 1,350 that we passed by, we're over 400 connected now. And, and that's, you know, eight months of time. And some of the latest ones were only able to be connected here in the last two, three months. So really great take rates. And I think we've had two people disconnect from the network that originally signed up. So our stick rate is, you know, almost 100%. So I think it's a testament to, you know, if you offer a good product, take care of the customers, um, they'll, they'll stay there. And then, you know, they, they have the $30 charge from us, soon to be $25 charge for the infrastructure. And then for the ISP side of it, our lowest cost provider at 250 megs is $35 a month. So for all in currently $65, it, it really is a, a good product that, that people are able to have access to. It definitely puts you in a very high national ranking in terms of price for speed. What is the time frame of your citywide build-out? We made the decision, when I say we, the city council made the decision in October after looking at the economics and hearing from the public uh, that are currently on the network and others of, you know, what's the experience with the pilots? So you know, is this something that people want? Is the need there? And what do the economics look like? Everything looked positive from the business case perspective. The community support was there. So city council said, let's deploy this citywide. Our plan is it's a four-year to five-year build-out. A lot of the, the easier areas and the lower-hanging fruit um, we can pick up a little bit faster. So my my vision and our current construction plan is when you come back to Idaho Falls three years from now, uh, we will have about 80% covered in that last 20%. But certainly some of the tougher areas and harder construction techniques will pick up over the next you know year to two years. But by the end of five years, we'll have every residence and business passed in the city and be able to offer that service to them. And at the same time, we, we also made the decision we're going to continue to operate and lease out the dark fiber because I view it as they, they are different needs. And some people just need those businesses, need those point-to-point connections or the robust of having on a, on a ringed connection. So we're going to continue to offer that service and maintain that network along with offering this additional service because it really is, you know, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution in this space for offering broadband. I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned over the last couple of years, you know, digging into the to the broadband industry. There, there isn't a one-size solution for any community or one area. It really is innovating and trying to find solutions for your local problems. 
Great. Is there, is there anything else that we should finish up with? We're excited about this partnership, and we just can continue to watch Idaho Falls grow and uh, finish building out um, the Utah cities here. Right. I think it's, it is worth noting, and I, if anyone who's listening, I think you're, you always worry that uh, if you're working with someone outside of town, when inside of town's not finished, there's a um, concern of what where your priorities are. And I think it's it's important to note that when you have the skill set you do with Utopia, we've seen this with some other munis as well, it really makes sense to put a little bit of effort into consulting because it, the, the revenues will only help you to build out more rapidly in the areas that you're committed to locally. Absolutely. One of our our missions here at Utopia is to help open access networks thrive throughout the country. And we're starting to see them pick up. um, And we can only hope that they continue to grow um, because it's just I think it's the proper role, as we believe it's the proper role of government uh, versus the private sector. Well, thank you so much. Uh, That was Bear Prairie. Uh, Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. And Kim, it was great to have you back on again. Thanks, Chris. That was Christopher with Bear Prairie from Idaho Falls Power and Fiber and Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber about the city's expansion of its fiber optic network. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules Podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. We want to thank Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 390 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.